stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Damn Good Podcast. I am Seth Emerson. Rennie Curran is over there on the other side of all this. You are listening to this probably on Apple, Spotify, iTunes, maybe even the athletic.com app. This is our free to the entire world episode, but we encourage you, as always, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, to subscribe to The Athletic, where you get the show that I don't think is as damn good, but some people do say it's still damn good with me and Jeff Schultz, which comes later in the week. But I'm here with Rennie now. Rennie, how you doing? How was your weekend off, so to speak? Was it a weekend off for you, even though Georgia was not playing? I mean, obviously, don't play for Georgia anymore. What, for... 12 years? No, I haven't been at 10 years, 10 years. Not too far off, but yeah, man. Uh, yeah, it's never a week off. There's always something crazy going on. I'm an entrepreneur, so I stay on the go, man. And I know we're going to talk about that later on, but yeah, it was business as usual. Yeah, I think people want to hear about what you've been up to. Uh, well, we're going to get into that later in the show, but you also mentioned, so we, we talked about how this was a bye week. I spent my bye weekend going to California to meet my nephew for the first time um, out in Silicon Valley. And just as a, you mentioned being an entrepreneur, like what, what really fascinated me being out there, and, and she lives in San Jose, one of those like small towns that I think Sunnyvale, California, that's technically part of San Jose. But you drive around there and people are like, okay, here's the Apple campus. Amazon's over there. Microsoft was started here everything is out there and it's just kind of fascinating that they call it Silicon Valley and you just kind of think like, Oh, you know, Silicon Valley. But once you get out there, it's, it's, we passed stamps.com, which I've never used, but I know they've been a sponsor. I don't know. Have you ever been out there? Did did your travels, you ever play out in Oakland, San Francisco during your playing career? I mean, uh, the closest I got to being out that way was actually got interviewed by the 49ers when they had Patrick Willis right before they ended up going with uh, Navarro Bowman. That's who they ultimately decided on. But it was when Singletary was coach. And uh, I just remember how beautiful it was out there. The uh, weather, of course, was, was nice. at Cali weather and just the scenery um, and everything. But I never did get to see Silicon Valley uh, or anything like that. Sounds, sounds cool, though. Rennie, what, here, here's a question for you. What do, you, what do players do on your bye week? Obviously, there's still a practice or two. I don't know how many there were when you were playing, but Georgia, I think, had practices Tuesday and Wednesday, I think, and Thursday, and then everybody gets a weekend off, literally. What what was it like when you were playing? Yeah, man, so during the bye week is really that time where you can fine-tune all those you know, little fundamentals, the things that you may start to get away from during the course of the season. You know, you have training camp where – you're uh, practicing like crazy. Your fundamentals are intact. You're in great shape. Your body's all good. Uh, by the time you get to the bye week is when you start to become little la- a little lax in certain areas. And you may be um, going on the up and up. You may be going on the trajectory of success. Uh, so it just kind of depends on where we were in the season. You know, if things were going well, no losses, then uh, it was more about fine-tuning. And if things were going bad, it was more... So about, hey, guys, this is the time where we got to come together, where we got to rally the troops, where we got to get back, uh, refocus on what our task is uh, and try to finish up the year strong. And then you have those guys, of course, who are banged up, who now have the time to get back in the weight room, get back, you know, in the training room and spend that extra time to get their bodies right 
So that's a big part of the uh, uh, the bye week is just you know making sure that you're using that time wisely. You're uh, in practice. You know you're giving those young guys the chance to really get those extra reps and do what they need to do to uh, just make sure that there's building they're building depth and that they're ready to go uh, for that, that second half of the season. So and then off the field, you know that's football wise. Off the field, there's also that component too, man. That's where you get the chance to be a regular person. You know, go back to your hometown, go to your high school football game, be with your family. Uh, be with your friends and just kind of take that helmet off a little bit and take a breath. Do you remember any like bye weeks that stand out in your career, or do they all just kind of does does any one particular one stand out for any reason? Yeah. Is like something mag you know magnificent happened this week or nah, bad nothing, or whatever? Nothing that I can uh, really remember. I mean, the biggest thing you try to do is just stay out of trouble. <laughs> That's that's uh, always the coaches, you know, number one thing is, hey, when you go back home, when you, you know, you have some time on your hands, so be smart. Don't make any stupid decisions. Uh, but for me, uh, one of the things that I loved about the bye week was just, like I said, going back home, man, is just being normal, reconnecting with everybody. You know, I grew up in Snellville, 45 minutes away, so it was always cool to come back to the games. Everybody shows you love. You know, I, I grew up in Georgia territory, so everybody wants to know, you know, how the season's going. Uh, what's next, who's going to be playing, who's not, you know, all those things, man. So it's it's cool just to come back and get that hometown love. What do you think Georgia did? It, it, the bye week, and there, this is a weird season for Georgia. There's two bye weeks, and it's I think it's that way for most, I think, everybody in the country. And I think Georgia gets them probably at a good time. You know, four weeks, you had a chance to build up the Notre Dame, and now you have a week to decompress and then get into – the October part of the schedule, which on paper isn't as challenging, and then there'll be the bye week before Florida. What do you think Georgia – how do you think they handled this bye week at this point in the season? Well, I mean, from what Kirby shared, you know, he they really spent a lot of time just uh, making sure that they're fine-tuning and continuing to move in the right direction, building the right depth, getting those guys who are kind of banged up um, – making sure that they're getting healed up and getting ready to go for that second course of the season. But I think they spent a good bit of time just looking at um, situational uh, football, like looking at those plays that they need to work on, those situations that they may not be as strong in and just really improving in those areas. So I, I think that was a good bit of it. And then also uh, with the amount of talent that we have on our team right now, obviously they're still competing. Like there's guys who are mm -hmm. still trying to break into uh, getting their, their first reps, you know, those – freshmen, those those guys who know they have the ability but might not mentally be there yet. I was one of those guys when I came in as a true freshman, and this is a time of the year where you're starting, you've been in the big game environments, maybe you've been on the sidelines with your helmet, you know, wishing and hoping to get in, and this is a time where you either get discouraged and you check out or you, you buckle down and in practice you're starting to uh, continue to show the coaches that they can trust you in those game situations, and so a lot of that is going on uh, for a lot of different players. So I think that's what they spent the majority of their time on. And then also off the field, once again, is just working on things like their character, those things that, you know, may be kind of put under the bus because of the grind, the daily grind of football. So the leadership things, uh, make sure that they're coming together as a team, spending that extra time together, all those things uh, come into play. You know, it's funny you mentioned talking about guys that haven't been playing as much and getting discouraged and everything. 
Um, I don't want to go down this road too much because we could talk about this for about two or three shows. But the the redshirt rule being in effect now, the four-game redshirt rule where Kelly Bryant used this last year at Clemson, the, the Houston quarterback is doing it, but he's doing it to return to Houston basically to save a year because it doesn't look like Houston's going to be good this year. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. We, we were at practice last week. The writers were, and, and we, we started to look around and go, I think we ought to actually take role here because Georgia's now past game four and is now the time somebody might use that. And for all we know that they did, we don't actually have enough time out there to take complete role, so maybe we will a little bit more. But the, the thing about a Georgia is that this is a hard place to leave right now. You know, you may not play, but do you really want to leave a team that's in national championship contention? But, you know, Rennie, I, I'm, do you think that if that rule had been around that someone like you, some, some of your teammates might have been how, – how would you all have handled your careers differently maybe if – that rule had been around man it's it's tough it's definitely a different ball game especially not only with that retro rule but even more so with that transfer portal um i was talking to one of my former teammates uh philando velasco about it he's their player development aka kind of like their babysitter <laughs> so he, he tells yeah. me all the time just about the conversation he's having with uh guys who are thinking about you know going in and you know because things aren't really working out the way they thought it would and it's it's very tough it's very hard to say now where I'm at, what I would have done back then, because I was one of those guys, like I said, I didn't play until the sixth, seventh game of the season. So I was one of those uh, who at times, and I was undersized. So I was like, man, why they, you know, at times I was like, man, why they even bring me here? You know, uh, I, I don't even know if I'm ever gonna play. And so I went through all of those motions in my head. And lucky, luckily for me, I was used to kind of being doubted and having the chip on my shoulder. So I fought through those things, got in the weight room, got in the film room, and it motivated me. For some guys, they, they really fell apart. They checked out. So, um, you know, that being said, it can it can definitely be a challenging thing having that rule um, in play. And I, I, it's hard for me to speak to it, man, as far as like the decision. But it can it can work out to your benefit too. Having that time, uh, being able to get the reps and having the and not having the pressure um, it's, until it gets to that fourth game, you know, as well. So it's it's a tough thing. It's one of those things that nuances that have come to the game that makes it more and more complex man it'll be interesting to, interesting to see especially with our players how the, that plays out because you you know we got enough players right now third string even fourth string that can go oh, and yeah. start in other places so so yeah you really got to be mentally tough when you're in that position i can say that and, and i've talked to coaches and i know the big concern for coaches is that like transferring becomes a crutch for people who right you know early in their careers are getting homesick they they're not mm -hmm. playing as much it's like no you, you take away you, – you don't want to liberalize the transfer rules. You want to have that, that you still have to sit a year when you go somewhere else because otherwise – I mean, you want to discourage people from making a bad decision earlier in their career. Look at all the guys that are fourth and fifth year, right. guys that are starting after not. And I get that, but I, I also worry that sometimes coaches use that as an argument when it's more about roster management. Yeah. It's not what's better for the player. It's better what's better for the coaches. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a two-sided coin. It's good and bad with, with everything. And I've definitely heard a lot of stories about that, um, you know, where a new coaching staff will come in. They have their agenda type of thing. Um, so there's a lot of that going on that's not talked about. I think a lot of the focus is put on the players and if they're being selfish or not or if they're looking out for themselves. But, you know, you, you got to realize uh, for me now as a fan, 
is this kid has four years to really max, you know, four, maybe five to really maximize this opportunity. So can we really blame him for for looking out for his career? I mean, most kids in college are looking out for their career. They have a class that they don't pass at University of Georgia. Guess what? They're going to transfer and go take it at perimeter. You know, are they going to do something to, to help put themselves in a better position? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough situation. Yeah, I mean, I get where the coaches are coming from. Um, and I, I, I don't want unfettered free agency in football or mm-hmm. college football. There isn't even really unfettered free agency in the NFL. People forget that. You know, you get right. drafted to a team. You don't get to pick your team. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're latched to that team for, what, three-year guaranteed contract, fourth-year team option. Yep. Um, yep. You know, it's, it's not even guaranteed money most of the time. Exactly. Definitely uh, not guaranteed. <laughs> so, but – yeah, it, 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 yeah, you, you make a good point. You only get four or five years, and, and a year is a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a tough thing. Like I said, we could, we could go on a while about that. Uh, some of the watch, I think, at every program now is after game four, mm-hmm. whether people start to do that, although it's not necessarily always game four because it's play four games. So there's a lot of guys. Georgia's had two games, Vanderbilt and Notre Dame, where they did not empty the bench because it was a blowout against Vanderbilt, but they only really, you know, they they didn't throw in the reserves until the end, and they had a travel roster limit. Uh, So it's something to watch a little bit going forward. And like I said, I I don't don't know how you can blame kids for wanting – kids can read a depth chart. And if all you're selling to them is hope, like hopefully if things go your way, you'll be able to play next year or the year after that, Mm-hmm. And I could see where a kid says, yeah, but over here I could play right away. Like, there's a guarantee. And, yep. by the way, Rennie, I, I, I've heard, like, when you say, like, no one's guaranteed playing time, I've heard in transfer situations they do guarantee guys starting spots. Like, especially with quarterbacks. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like when uh, the thing that springs to mind is Grayson Lambert, when he transferred from Virginia to Georgia, he wasn't guaranteed the starting spot here. Yeah. But yeah. – Another school I know guaranteed him a starting spot, but he passed on it because he wanted to come to Georgia. It wasn't as big a school, so that kind of those promises do happen, even though everyone publicly denies they do. Right, without a doubt. I mean, uh, college football coaches are the greatest salesmen in the world, and that's that's part of their job is bringing in those recruits and those you know top tier players. And a lot of times, it is about you know can they or not even just say that you're going to start here, but just the attention that they give them as if they're going to be a starter. So there's a lot of different ways that they go about it to make you feel comfortable or feel like you're that the, the first and the last player to ever come there. <laughs> they'll text you every single day. I mean, they'll, they'll send you those letters and they'll make you feel like you're on top of the world, you know, not knowing that they're doing it to five other guys. And so it's, it's a very funny game. And until you get up there, that's, that's what's disheartening to a lot of guys is, you know, because you go through that recruiting process and the, platter is laid out for you and everything's looking good they're telling you exactly what you want to hear and then you get up there about year two year three you realize dang i was just another one in line and so it's it's a very very tough situation we got to understand as fans that this is a business like the, the coaches are paid to bring these 18 to 20 uh, year old kids in and so you know at the same time you, you kind of look at them like if they want to transfer and whatnot as if he's just doing it himself but at the end of the day everybody's jobs on the line on both sides you know that kid doesn't uh 
make the good use of that opportunity, doesn't get the opportunities that he needs, you're looking at a kid, uh, I mean, a kid that may come back or come out from a one street light town, like they have to go back home where there's nothing for them a lot of times. You know, if they don't get that degree, whatever it is, if they don't capitalize on that mm-hmm. opportunity, it's it's like their future is not that bright a lot of times. Whereas the coach is going to be coaching for 20, 30 years and, and so on and so forth. So it's just, it's very, very tough when you look at it from that dynamic from of life, not just even football, you know? Yeah, and I think you even face that with the go pro or turn back decision. Like people a lot of times looked at it as, you know, again, to too many people, players are commodities. They're a Mm -hmm. name on a roster. You know, they're a name on a depth chart when there's real life stuff going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really real. I mean, that was one of the toughest decisions in my life. And um, I think people really understand, stood from my standpoint, because I, I think I did a pretty good job of communicating my circumstances, but my daughter was born after my uh, soft, after my freshman year at University of Georgia. Had a little bit too much fun at the, <laughs> at the uh, Sugar Bowl. And, uh, you know, my high school sweetheart got pregnant. And so at the age of like 20, about to turn 21 years old, I'm a father. And it's like, yeah, Saturdays in Athens are, are awesome. But when I, when I take that helmet off, like I'm a, I'm a father, like I, and then my family was struggling um, at home as well. Mom was paying most of the bills because uh, my dad had lost his business. So there's just all those things that go on for a lot of these players that people have no clue about because you know essentially it's entertainment on Saturday. It's fun and and awesome and tailgating and everything. Um, so that's you know something important that I think most people don't take into account that these guys, man, they come from some of the toughest circumstances, and honestly, that's how. When you look at a Georgia or an Alabama or these top tier programs, that's how you're able to separate yourself a lot of times. And because of the adversities that you went through early in, the, in your life that built that toughness and built that perseverance, um, that's how that's what ultimately ultimately uh, makes you successful. They've talked about uh, the, the cost of attendance thing has been in effect for a few years now where every player, depending on how the school computes, I think Georgia, it's like a two or three thousand a semester mm-hmm. and now the name image and likeness thing that's coming down the pike california on monday signed mm-hmm. it that's going into law in 2024 is that kind of thing gonna be able to keep some people in school like you or is it still a matter i mean i also think about like time commitment like right you had a family mm-hmm. and you have school and football on top of that whereas the nfl right. is just football mm-hmm and, and yeah. money-wise, I don't know if, like, name, image, likeness, and cost of attendance, uh, whether that is enough in a lot of cases. Right. And, you know, so much of the focus has been put on money and, and paying and, you know, uh, opportunities and whatnot. And that's, to me, that's a never-ending conversation. Um, and it, it, I think they really do have to uh, do a good job of... Um, making the incentive, like creating the incentive. Like, why should I want to stay in college? I mean, let's put it in a situation. I always love to do this. Let's put it in a situation of a regular college student. If you came to a college student who was at the business school at University of Georgia, you know, if Chick-fil-A came to him or, you know, any company basically came to him, it was like, hey, you can leave your junior year. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a job right now that'll pay you 200000 300000 base salary, you know? what would be their incentive for staying at in college? <laughs> and I feel like right. it's the same way 
for for student athletes like what's going to be that incentive for them to stay and i think they're going to have to start considering um the the likeness issue like allowing guys and not not to say even paying them right away but start a trust fund so that right. if they finish that, they can tap into that they can have a nest egg because let's face it like only 0.08% actually make it to the league and actually have a like even less than that actually have what you can call a career which is more than you know 5 years or 10 right. years so yeah that's and that's the thing that like so Georgia is a poster child for this a lot of times because of Todd Gurley and the autograph stuff and AJ Green and the Independence Bowl jersey but it, they, you know, Todd Gurley and AJ Green were going to get money on the back end. They were going to get it in the NFL. I wonder. I think the the argument is sort of the middle class player, uh, and I, I I mean that in terms of you know what I mean, not in terms of, but yeah, in terms of the the guy who's going to be a fringe NFL prospect. Uh, you know, may not even get a cup of coffee, may not even make it to a mini camp, but while he's in school, essentially makes money for his program because of his efforts, uh, like. I'll, I'll pick out a player, uh, a current Georgia linebacker, Tay Crowder. I don't know if he's an NFL guy. I mean, he may end up, you know, he's got some speed. Maybe he is. But let's say he never plays it down. All right, now he's been in school five years, so I think he's, he's going to be getting his degree. But he may never make any money in the NFL. But while he's at Georgia, I mean, that, that onside kick recovery in the Rose Bowl itself. And so there are a lot of guys like that that don't get a chance to make any money while they're here they they just are given the value of the education i i'm not i i think there's a value in the education but man like if here's the argument i've used and then i'll let give it back to you renny uh, the you know we want to cap there are, there are people that want to cap what players receive at quote unquote the value of an education and even just the cost of attendance they're not capping coaches salaries they're not capping the salaries of people like me who make money covering this sport they're not capping what the school gets so the the school president the athletic director administration but we're only capping what the players get it just strikes me as unfair yeah i mean there's a lot to be said uh and i know you know as people uh are listening to this they're going to have a very very mixed opinions about this but when i look at not just what you just said that all the people within the athletic programs that are capitalizing, but I also look at the entire economy of an Athens that's affected, right, when there's a game. Yeah. So your hotels, your Uber driver, your person who puts their place on Airbnb, like an entire economy is affected essentially. And like you said, a guy like a Tay Crowder who comes in and may or may not make it to the league, he's basically at the height of what his brand value is. And after he yes. leaves Georgia, after he yes. takes that jersey off, that's never going to return, I don't care if he makes it to the NFL, what, like he's at the height of it. And so to say that he can't capitalize on that is, is crazy to me, especially using his own name. And I think the even bigger injustice um, and not, you know, I sh shouldn't use that word loosely, but to me it's an injustice because when you say that not only is this player cap, but he's an amateur, that robs him at, uh, of the opportunity for a learning experience. Imagine if a Tay Crowder is able to learn how to build his brand, if he's able to learn how to make partnerships, he's learned how to network, if he's learning how to network with uh, business leaders, he won't even need the NFL. You know, he won't feel like after he's done that his only option will be commentating or coaching. Not to say those are bad careers, but that's what a lot of guys leave and they feel like their only option 
is to do. And so um, it, it's a it's a very tough situation. I feel like it definitely needs to change. And I'll say this for, for a lot of the people who say that God should be happy with a <laughs> quote unquote free education. Like the, the first thing you learn, I'll speak first and foremost, the first thing you learn when you get to a University of Georgia or any of these major campuses is that that education is not free. You earn that thing with your, like, they own you, basically. Yeah. Like, your time is not yours. So, um, to me, a Hope Scholarship is free. Right? You go to class, you come back home, uh, you can work a job, that's free. <laughs> what we're doing is not free, you earn that. You know, you earn it with your blood, sweat, and tears. Over the summer, you're there, you're, you're grinding. It's no joke. Like, you, most of us leave um, college without even being able to do an internship. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's uh, how I feel about it. That's an ongoing conversation that never ends. I think, and I think instead of people just looking at the money side, they need to look at the educational experience, which is what the NCAA says they stand for. So yeah, my two cents. We could go. Yeah, we could go a while <laughs> on this. And I think I think you as a former player and me as a journalist are kind of on the same page on this. Uh, which and I like the trust fund idea. I I, I think I've heard that uh, said before. Yeah, James Franklin may have uh, put that out there as, like, go ahead and let players have access to name, image, and likeness money, just not while they're in school. Um, now, like, what form does that take? Does that mean that everybody's going around doing, in, you know, endorsements of car dealerships and whatever? I mean, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, I, I, I think at some point I, 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 I almost hesitate to say, like, there's a happy medium we can get. But at the same time, Happy Medium kind of still is putting it in a box. I think there are market forces at work that you've got to let the market have an effect here. True, true, true. I mean, yeah, I, I look at it like, man, there's no student on a college campus right now that if they want to create T-shirts or if they want to play in a bar in their you know, local area that they, they have any type of cap or any reason why they couldn't do that. And it's crazy to me that, you know, college athletes, collegiate athletes are kind of put under that uh, bubble of saying, oh, you, you got to operate this way. You got to have this cap. And they, they very easily could create a structure, too, because I believe there should be structure. If they're going to start giving them, you know, wish they were to give them stipends. And if they're going to allow them to own their likeness and be able to use it, they should have just like they, they have character development folks who help them with, with leadership in that area. They should have somebody who kind of helps them in that lane as well like because I, I think it, it can create a lot of damage because we get a lot of exposure i mean these guys are coming out um now with with thirty thousand followers on instagram and just have a lot of influence so i feel like if, if these colleges are going to have them for four years of their life the least that they can do is teach them how they can manage the brand in an appropriate way and they can, and help them understand their influence as well yeah no and yeah, we could go on a while about this, but uh, so the uh, let, let me transition. We, we don't want to ignore the fact that Georgia is going to Tennessee this weekend in a game that they're what about a twenty-four point right. favorite. <laughs> so, Rennie, as someone who's played there at Tennessee, does this game being in Knoxville? Let's say that they have a good crowd, night game. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a lot of you know. The, the Tennessee fan base is very upset and on edge right now. But let's say they have a good crowd. Does that give – should it give Georgia any trepidation about this game? Or is the talent 
the momentum just too much on Georgia's side? I mean, I personally believe the talent is on our side, but uh, just like Notre Dame, because I believe we, we could have blown out Notre Dame if we played our best game. Uh, I believe if we go in there, the same thing, if we make those early costly mistakes, dropping punts, you know, not uh, kicking effective punts <laughs> or kicking punts effectively, um, you know, giving up big plays, big explosive plays. Any team on any given Saturday, especially in the SEC, can capitalize on that. Uh, and at the end of the day with Georgia, we got that target on our back. We're, you know, ranked number three in the nation. So every school that plays this, they're going to play their best game. Every player that plays this knows that, hey, man, if I can make a play, if I can make a big tackle on DeAndre Swift, or if I can get a sack on Jake Fromm, this dude, these guys are going to be top-tier players in, in, mm -hmm. at the next level. So I want to get my film. <laughs> so... Um, that all plays into it. And then, of course, the crowd, man. Uh, I remember going to play in Knoxville, and that Rocky Top song was the most annoying thing in the world. I, I mean, yep. weeks after, you're still hearing it play in your head. <laughs> and uh, during practice, we would practice with that song, blaring loud and uh, to mimic the crowd noise and everything. But, yeah, that you can't take away from their fan base and the atmosphere that they create in Knoxville. If you go in there and – you start letting the crowd get involved and whatnot, and you you start letting them score a couple points, and that Rocky Top music is going. It's a hard train to stop, so we got to go in there and really execute from the start. I I've always liked going to Tennessee as a media member because I it just I like the stadium. <clears throat> Excuse mm -hmm. me, got a frog in my throat and no, had good, a cold good. for a while. I was hoping Silicon Valley would fix it, but it didn't. <laughs> um, the, I like the Coliseum effect. It's it's just I've always thought it was a cool stadium, and there's hundred thousand, I think, whatever the official capacity is. As a player, did it feel any different from other stadiums at all? It did. It it it, it really really did. It was a very intense uh, environment to play in, and like I said, if you let them get rolling and start, you know, gaining that momentum, which they did a couple times when we played them, then it it makes for a long day. <laughs> And it's a tough, tough ride back home, tough trip there, tough experience playing in that stadium and a tough ride home if you don't execute. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't have any worries about this team. We got the leadership. We got more than enough talent. Um, they haven't been playing well at all <laughs> this year. So I know yeah. they're going to start out with fire, but I don't think it's going to be enough to, to do anything. Let me – we're going to wrap up here. Rennie, we wanted to – we probably should have done this on our first show, but and we, we touched base on your life after football – a yeah. little bit but uh, let's first that last week you went out to arizona right yeah to yeah, yeah. speak to the cardinals and just tell people really quick while i try to get this frog out of my throat yeah, about <clears throat> what it was you did and how often you do that and just kind of how that fits in with what what you're up to these days yes yeah, so i went out uh to speak to the cardinals rookies and uh work with an organization called rise and they focus on uh, racial equality, uh, diversity and inclusion, and teaching athletes how to use their influence uh, and their voices to be a, a voice in that way. Um, so basically being influencers and, and being change agents. And that's essentially what part of what I do now um, in my life after football. Started after I got drafted um, to the Tennessee Titans. After my second year, got cut. There was a coaching staff change. They brought in the draft picks. And that started me on a journey of um, just self-development, personal development. And so um, as I was going through my uh, transition from Tennessee to eventually playing for Tampa Bay, I, it was about a, 
six month <laughs> break, uh, which I wasn't taking a break. Of course, I was training, but read a ton of books, started going to a lot of workshops, meeting with business leaders, um, just really developing myself outside of football and started writing my first book. And from then on, you know, I ended up playing with Tampa up in Canada with the Edmonton Eskimos and the BC Lions. Uh, I always saw sports and saw football through the lens of leadership and performance mindset and uh, personal branding, all those things. I, I really started to uh, build my business, started to build my brand, started to understand how I could leverage my jersey uh, to you know, add value to the marketplace. And that's something I'm so passionate about now. So uh, now I'm a full-time keynote speaker. I speak at schools, businesses, associations. I also am a business coach. I'm certified. Um, I work with uh, like uh, John Gordon, who wrote the Energy Bus. Like I said, I work with Rise. Um, mm -hmm. Do a lot. Just launched a nonprofit as well called the Game Changers Foundation. So, uh, yeah, my my end goal is to help athletes and business professionals reach their fullest potential. How much do you think Georgia helped you with that in your your experience here, or how much of it was just you know your stuff you learned post football life? Right, man, it, it helped me out immensely, and um, it was kind of indirect knowledge, right? So there came a point in time where after my sophomore year, I think it, a specific moment that happened was I was walking through a mall, and I looked into a, it was a sports memorabilia uh, shop, and they had my jersey hanging up. And I was just like, man, this is dope. Like, this has been my dream. You know, now I'm, I'm officially that hometown kid. Uh, <laughs> I'm officially like John, you know, like uh, David Pollock and David Green. And yeah. then I thought to myself, man, who's who's making this money? If I'm not getting it, who's getting it? Exactly. And so that's when the business like mindset. My dad was an entrepreneur. That's how he he was able to help our family. He showed sh uh, shoes in the shoe repair shop and worked for himself. Did it all. And so I had that same entrepreneurship mindset. And so my mind just started turning and. The more and more I started to look at situations like that, like we would go to banquets where it'd be a lot of random people. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, I just started asking questions. Like, what does this person do? Why are they here? And started learning about the different businesses and things that they do. And all of a sudden I stopped looking at fans as just fans. You know, I started looking at the, the fact that, man, this person could be a CEO. This person could be some, somebody who could be a potential client in the future or somebody who hires me in the future. And then I stopped looking at also media. And even when I did interviews with guys, I started thinking to myself, okay, when I do an interview, this is my chance to brand myself to the entire state of Georgia and sometimes even the nation. So that really helped me understand just the, the opportunities that I had and the, the way that I could use, you know, my Jersey to be a positive influence. You know, even back in my hometown, I was, like I said, labeled undersized. But I knew that there were kids who were looking up to me, kids who I could have an impact on. So all those things just started um, influencing me to head in the direction of being more than just an athlete. Yeah, the the undersized part resonates with me because I'm like I'm six two and I have not used that frame very well. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I have to use it for this. No, I, it's it's great and it get, does get back to a lot of what we're talking about with the name, image, and likeness stuff. In mm -hmm. that, yeah, I mean, you can. And I, I remember I sat down with Champ Bailey a few weeks ago talking to him about putting together his post football career, what he's doing with his businesses. Right. But I, you make a good point. You made this earlier about establishing that brand more when you're playing, playing exactly. and being allowed to rather than, no, you must be gone from Georgia first before you can 
be doing that. Why? It yeah, doesn't it, make sense. It really doesn't. It really doesn't. And uh, I'm so thankful that I was able to build the right relationships, build the right brand on and off the field. Um, because if I had started doing that right after, you know, 2017 when I tore my patella tendon and was basically told like that was it, I don't, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I, I just would not. And I think about other guys who uh, built their brand uh, while they were playing. A guy like, a guy by the name of Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm mm-hmm. Mitchell, if you can remember, he released his book while he was playing at University of Georgia. He had to go through a lot of hoops yeah. and everything with the NCAA yep. to get clearance and all that. Luckily, he had an attorney that was helping him with all this. Um, but the fact that he was able to release his book, the children's book that took off and he was able to have the foundation, he's now done playing and he's good. You know, you're, the last thing you're gonna hear about with him is that he's you know broke or fighting for a job or anything like that because he started, he leveraged his jersey and there's there's so many guys that don't do that and so no matter how good their career goes when they're done it's like they're scratching their head trying to figure out life like they don't they you know they literally do not know what to do with themselves they have no purpose whatsoever because their whole entire identity was their jersey so once they took that off it's it's gone and so i'm I'm so passionate about that as you can see (laughs) um yeah athletes being able to leverage and it's not once again it's not about the money it's not about, you know, I heard Tebow giving his comments about, oh, how it's going to turn turn this into all about me. And I'm, I totally disagree with that. I think guys having the ability to leverage their jerseys, leverage their influence can be a very, very positive and educational thing um, that can lead to a lot of growth. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, we you and I are in agreement on all this. And yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, one last thing I've got, uh, my, my son, you mentioned the magician's hat, Malcolm Mitchell story. Uh, mm-hmm. my son has that in his bed right now. He was reading it the last few days. So, uh, all right. Well, uh, Rennie, it's been a pleasure. We'll, likewise. uh, we'll get back next week and, and talk about what happens in Knoxville. Oh yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. And, and shout out to you for an awesome job. Shout out to the Bulldog Nation. Um, Brookwood Broncos in Snellville. Shout out to y'all. And yeah, I look forward to the next show. All right. See you later this week with Jeff Schultz and then next week back with Rennie.